Morning. Eh. Morning. All right, good. Excellent. Um, well, how's the, we're in the month of prayer. How's the praying been? Huh? How's it been? If you feel that you've prayed a little more this month than you normally do, should I make you raise your hand? No. <laughs> well, let me tell you, um, you know, we, we, uh, this is our second year that we're doing it this way, and um, we had, you know, a, a time of worship and prayer at the 133 um, at our kind of office building that we have in Brookline Village. And um, let me just say, you know, uh, it's so unexpected um, what happens when you just commit to, to be available to pray. And so... Um, uh, our sister Christine uh, led a time where she said, hey, uh, um, she kind of shared how she was struggling with forgiveness and that she needed to forgive someone. And so she said, why doesn't everyone just kind of get into smaller pairs or groups and, and talk about some place that maybe you're struggling to forgive someone? And literally, I, when, I, when she was doing that, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of good. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, and then it was just, and I thought the people I was in the group with, like, oh, they probably don't have much that they're dealing with in that regard. And then... As they begin to share, I was like, man, there's some deep stuff here. I didn't even know as I started sharing uh, that I needed that time. And so let me encourage you as we're still 10 days out from the end of the month of prayer, which is really just our encouragement to you to, to be with the Lord more regularly with people on your own. I mentioned a few weeks ago, prayer walking, just whenever you're out for a walk or committing to go out for a walk and, and, and really making yourself available to pray to the Lord, have him speak to you and for you to talk to him. Um, let me just encourage you to keep doing that. We got 10 days left and we're gonna need it. Uh, I, I've needed it um, and I, I need more. Um, and so um, I wanna open by uh, telling you a story about um, my, when I was at my last church, we were looking for a new senior pastor and so we went through this search process and then we found someone and then they ended up leaving like a year or two later. And then we, um, went on another search, and at this point, I had been at my church for probably 10 years, and I was very, very possessive of it. I was very committed. I was like, I'm gonna go down with this ship. I'm never leaving. I did. Um, I'm here. <laughs> it's, well, it's no longer. The church is no longer. But um, the point is, is that we were looking for a new senior pastor, and, you know, when we, uh, one of the things that, uh, my, my friends and I felt in the church were that uh, we really needed to pray more and so on that subject, you know, and so um, we had this prayer meeting that just a few of us had started doing. It wasn't an official prayer meeting of the church, but our church wasn't that big anyway, so um, we did this on Saturday. We invited some people. Some people would come out and um, we were a little disparaged, a little discouraged that our, some of our leaders would not show up and so I was like really hoping for someone that would... Um, you know, I, I was really hoping that whoever we ended up calling would be someone who would come to that meeting. I, I really hoped that they would, uh, you know, uh, be interested and willing to go to this prayer meeting. And so as we're interviewing people, one of the things that, you know, this guy said when he interviewed, who became our pastor, he said, well, when do you pray? And I was like, yes, finally, we got a guy who's on the program. So he came to our prayer meeting during his kind of interview time with us and I gave my wholehearted recommendation that we should call this guy. This guy's awesome. I'm really excited about him. And then we hired him. He came and became our pastor. And lo and behold, you know, Saturday rolls around. This is when we did a Saturday morning. And he's, he's like not there. 
And I, you know, and then another week goes by. And then the months go by, and he has not showed up a single time. And I was just like so confused. And honestly, I begin to get angry because I did not understand why he would not show up. Uh, I thought that he would help lead the charge to get more people involved in this prayer meeting that I cared so much about that we thought was so necessary. And I didn't know why uh, he was not, um, he wasn't coming. Um, I'll tell you the rest of this later. Um, but we've been talking about life together the last two weeks, if you haven't been here. And so for two weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be called to not just live life with God, but that that always happens in a community. And so we have life together. And so in week one, we talked about our expectations of reality, that our idea and desires for community can, if we're not careful, destroy the very people we are in community with. And so to repeat the Bonhoeffer quote that Jeff quoted on his week, the person who's in love with their vision of community will destroy community but the person who loves people around them will create community everywhere they go. And then week two, last week, Tyler talked about the structure of our lives, that whether consciously or unconsciously, we are constantly kind of, we're kind of making decisions about how we are building our lives, and that we're either gonna work towards building our own kingdoms or building towards the kingdom of God, either a self-serving kingdom or one that is built to serve others and God's purposes in the world And to quote Tyler, a life rightly centered on God is a life centered on others. So I asked his permission. He said I could use that picture. Um, I just thought it was cool to have the Bonhoeffer quote and then quote Tyler. Um, (laughs) And now in this third week, uh, we want to visit what will happen and what you must do once you've made that decision to live in community. Let's say the last two weeks you've been like, oh, I feel very convicted about this. I really, really should uh, uh, let go of my ideals about community and friendship in, in the body of Christ. I really should let go of what I think people ought to be like and accept them for who they are and all this stuff. Maybe I should be cha- making some big changes in, in my preferences and how I build my life. But we now must visit what will happen inevitably and what you must do once you've made these. I really liked... This pastor, I thought we were, that was coming to our church. I had this great idea of what was gonna happen. And then something happened, right? Because believe it, our ideals are good. God has called us to be in this community and this city for a reason. It's not that all this stuff we're learning about, thinking about, encouraging you about from the word of God is, is not real. If we truly try to embrace one another, instead of forcing our idea of community on each other, if we refuse to leave because our ideals are not coming to fruition, if we really structure our lives with the kingdom in mind, instead of trying to build our own self-satisfying kingdom, then we're gonna find something good and something God is in. I really believe that. But let me tell you what else God will be in because it's inevitable. God will be in the messiness that comes when we try to live out these realities because they can only be done by his power. Uh, I... I don't know if you knew this, but um, if you like to play computer games, there's a part of the computer called the GPU, the graphics processor unit. And for many years, these became very expensive because you you could use them to mine cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. So I'm just trying to catch you up if you don't know what this is. You could use them to mine cryptocurrency. So 
basically you couldn't buy one because these things were really, really expensive because people were using them to get Bitcoin, all right? All right, so I, let me explain why I'm telling you this story. <laughs> um, I have this old computer with some computer games on it, but I needed a new GPU, a new one of these parts, but they're too stinking expensive, so I've just sort of put the computer in the basement and I haven't really worried about it for many years. Um, lo and behold, I'm on Facebook Marketplace and I find this part, and it's really cheap now, the one I was eyeing for like four years. I was like, yeah, it's, too, it's like $500. I'm not gonna do this. I don't even have time for computer games. I just like the idea of computer games. So I, I find it for $50. I'm very excited. I, I drive to Cambridge in the middle of the night. Not in the middle of the night, but you know, in the evening. <laughs> it's not like 3 a.m. or something. Um, and I get this thing, and I go back, and I'm really excited, and lo and behold, I show up to my computer, and I've realized now that my power source in my computer is not built for this graphics processor unit. And so now, yes, I know, I'm so dejected, and because I can't power the stupid thing. And now what I thought was like this like very low cost, like I'm not even really gonna spend money on this and, and suffer uh, you know, some, some interrogation about why I'm spending money on this. Um, uh, you know, I, I, but, but there was a problem here, is that I didn't have, the, I had the wrong power source. I couldn't, I couldn't even power the thing on. The thing that I wanted, the thing that I thought was great, I couldn't power. And so when we try to live life together, the thing we're seeking to do, life together, this is done by his power and with his presence, or literally it doesn't work. And I've seen this the last few years especially. It's not a one-time thing either. You and I are gonna find ourselves going back to the wrong power source again and again. And that's really what the month of prayer is about, it's about remembering our power source. It might be in other areas too, but in relationships, we have to remember whose presence we need to survive what is basically surgery by community, surgery by life together. Because what we're in when we're Christians is a process of what we call sanctification. And if you don't know that term, it's the process by which God takes your standing as a child of God and brings you there, he brings you there slowly. He brings you into a place of holiness and perfect love. He brings you from being a self-centered person into being an other-centered person. He brings you from being all about yourself and cutting others off at, 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 at cutting others off so you can have what you want into being like he is in himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. He brings you to that place and that's the process of sanctification. And believe me, when we are sinful human beings and we're objectively cleansed, yes, we're not guilty because of what Christ has done, but our hearts are having trouble catching up to that reality. Our world is still broken. We're still sorting through this process. And community, it's beautiful because it also exposes our weaknesses and sin in this process. And that's by design. This healing process happens in community and it by design leaves us vulnerable because we are learning how to love and forgive and that just requires vulnerability. See, God wants, us, God wants to perfect the intimacy we have with him and everybody nods at that one, but he wants to perfect the intimacy we have with each other and that then you just kind of take a few steps and you go, hold on a second. And aside, I wanna ask, when you think of the life you're building, you know, I don't know if you do this. I wake up every day and I go, what am I doing? What am I, maybe because I'm getting old, a little older too, right? Like, what am I doing all day? What is this building towards? 
When you think of the life you're building, do you think about the fact that perfect intimacy with others, especially those you find hard to get along with, do you think about the fact that Christ died so you could pursue that kind of intimacy? Some of us have a hard time thinking about that. Again, intimacy with God, great, sounds awesome, God's perfect. He's, I know he's always guiltless, so actually I know generally where the problems are. There's very clear expectations. Um, usually the fault is mine, <laughs> that kind of thing. But intimacy with others or that person or a new relationship with someone that already grates me, less desirable, but these are inextricably tied, as Tyler talked about last week. I love God, but I don't love the church. How many of you heard that or even said it? But the church is the body of Christ, Literally. Who can harm your body and tell you they love you? How does that even make sense? We would not say that someone who harms us loves us. And so we're called to life together because our love for Christ goes hand in hand with it. And because he died not just so I could be with him forever, but so you and I, so we could be together forever. And that we could practice that forever and grow in doing it now. I mean, the New Testament is literally written to the only biblical way you're supposed to pursue him in a local church. You, you, you know, the universal church. I'm part of the church universal. That like, you don't see anyone really doing that. The New Testament, is these letters are literally written to local churches. This is the way we're supposed to pursue him. And I wanna say aside, some of you have been really hurt by church in your life, by other Christians. And that pain has been so hard that you had to say goodbye or to find a way to survive. And so I wanna say that Today, this, these are not condemnations, but these are encouragements. There will probably be in your mind some hard memories and questions and things to sort through. Um, but what I wanna ask you, rather than jumping into maybe what I'm trying to say to you or what you're being encouraged to do, come and pray with someone, ask to sit with one of our leaders, I'm happy to sit with you, and let's actually live life together. Let's figure out what God is up to uh, in your life if that's where you're coming from. So, uh, so again, Recapping those first two weeks, they set the foundation for how we even get ourselves into this position for what I'm about to talk about, which is uh, that we, one, need to have awkward conversations about the strangeness, all right? So we, we have to have awkward conversations about the strangeness in our relationships, and then two, I'm going to say we need to pursue God's help uh, in that uh, in a very specific way. So One, we need to have awkward conversations about the strangeness. All right, what's the strangeness? So the strangeness, I would say, are the differences that arise as we do community when life settles. You know, everything's new. Everyone's being very polite. We're cool. This is good. It's been a few years now. And then you find that there's all these differences, Um, people's preferences, the ways that they tend to do friendship formation, community, recreation, service in the church, where their boundaries of privacy are, how they sacrifice, what they see as a sacrifice, hospitality, and a lot of other things, which this is not a seminar about um, diversity and culture, but uh, you know, there's lots of things. And one example I wanna give is a way that people become friends in church, because I think that's really relevant. There's people anywhere from like, this is your third week to like, this is your 13th year. And uh, let me give you one example that I think is, is pretty helpful. Some of you, if you were new to a church, you would want to attend probably a little early and then be left alone 
mostly. Like, I'm just checking it out. Please don't anyone try to, like, get in my space. Uh, say hi. Maybe fill out this card that we encourage you to fill out. And uh, maybe if there's little snacks in the beginning, that'd be great. Um, that would feel good. And then uh, you're, you're out, right? And then maybe in a future week, you might cordially meet someone during this hello time that we forced you to do. And then maybe they would find out that you have a hobby for um, board games or chess or running or whatever, right? And then you'd get invited to an activity. Uh, or maybe, and by name, they'd invite you. Hello, um, Mike. I'll just use me. I'm not going to stereotype anybody. You know, hello, Mike. Would you like to come to this? You'd want to be invited that way. And then you would feel loved. you feel like, man, I really feel like this is what a great place this is. I, I, was, I was really welcomed here. People were cool with me. That's awesome. Others of you would want immediately following church to be invited to a very large group of people that are having food somewhere. Uh, the larger, almost the better. Uh, you would want to then continue to be invited to a number of events where groups of people are doing things and then slowly get to know people through these like group things until then you start connecting with a few people within that context of facilitated group events. And then you'd be like, man, what a welcoming place. I just kept getting invited to like these big dinners and stuff where people get together and every week after church someone had, they, I just noticed a large group of people and I was just like invited to join them by just by hanging around. And the strangeness is that neither of these things is wrong. Neither of them is wrong or right or sinful, but they're strange to us. At least when there's a way of doing things that feels at home for you, and then the other things feel strange. And strangeness comes out also when we don't know the stories of people around us. A good example was that Jeff, two weeks ago, said, hey, sometimes you might assume this person is single. They must have lots of time. And then you might actually find that that person has very little time or they're dealing with really, really difficult things in their life. And so maybe you say, you've got lots of time. Why aren't you doing this or that? Actually, that's, that's, it's strange to you. That's, you're like, if I was single, I would be, you know, I'd, I'd have three languages done by now. And, you know, why aren't you doing anything? And, and actually, it's because it's strange. It's, it's different. Or the other way, some people think that if you have a child of any kind, you are immediately unavailable in any possible way. And I will tell you that that is partially true but <laughs> for a while. But it's like weird. Like if someone called me at nine, I'd be like, ah, maybe I could hang, right? There are things that seem strange to us because we don't understand each other. And our passage today is certainly a little bit awkward and strange. Joshua 22. Let's look at it. This is, this, is, this is a strangeness encounter here. And when they came to the region of Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh there, they build an altar of imposing size. And then Israel hears about it. And so what we have here is, you know, I don't know if you know that we're, that where we are in the Bible. Israel has just settled back in Canaan, right? We just ended Genesis, right, three weeks ago. Joseph dies, like one day you'll, you know, Jacob is promised one day your people will go back. Well, they've come back. We're skipping ahead. They're back in the promised land. They're taking it over. They're claiming the land that was originally theirs. But there's a couple tribes that were like, hey, we really like this part on the other side of the Jordan. Can we like just do this? And Moses is like, sure, but you have to help us take all that over there. So they say, fine. And then they go help and now they come back and they're settling over here on the other side of the Jordan. And... Well, at some point, there's like a giant altar on the other this side where they've 
resettled. And, and so this is, they're being strange. They build something that's normally for worship, and it's like on that side of the river. And then what happens? So verse 12, and when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Then the people of Israel sent the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Nassau and the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him 10 chiefs, one from each of the, the tribal families of Israel, every one of them to the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. And they said to them, thus says the congregation of the Lord, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel? In turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord. And essentially, they're like, haven't we had enough? What, what are you doing? Now look, in our modern day, we might be tempted to see this as a vast overreaction. But what you have to remember is where they've just come from, and that's what they're doing here in this passage. They just went through their, the previous generation having to wander the desert because they refused to trust in God. So they're literally like, we were all born, with exception of like one or two people, we were all born in the desert because people didn't listen to God. We just went through and they start naming these moments of plague and destruction that happened to them as a consequence of their disobedience and unfaithfulness. And so they greatly feared that this building of this altar was a moment that destruction might come on them. So they have legitimate concerns. And so before I get into how to handle strangeness, and we talk about that more, because there's some strangeness here, what we want to point out is that what we must not try to do while we understand each other, while we hear and value one another, because I could do that, we could have a talk about that anywhere, it doesn't have to be church, is that we must not compromise the common goal that actually binds us together, and that's what they are doing here. As Christians, we're here to pursue a relationship with Christ, to be his disciples, to be holy as he is holy, to tell others about the good news of his forgiveness and grace that spare them from judgment. And our community is in that context. We cannot compromise our common goal in life together. And that's a hard thing to do. And so before I get into handling some of this other stuff, I wanna say that we have to hold that standard together and that's what enables us to overcome. We have to remember that that is our common goal, to follow him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when I know that that's your goal too, that creates a ground, a common ground by which we're trying to have all of our conversations because we know our mutual goal and we trust that the person on the other side also has that goal. This is why covenant membership's important. We just did the member class a few weeks ago. We establish mutual vows and a relational context by which we can have what could become awkward conversations. So let me just say that the, the, the first, first, the rest of Israel's reaction, again, it's not an overboard reaction. There's a deep concern for holiness and the worship of God. And that's actually why on the other side, these tribes that are confronted, like, what are you doing? And they, like, there's like an army and they've sent a group. They don't take that as an offense or an overreaction. They have a common context for this conversation. They're like, oh, we are also concerned about that. We understand your deep concerns. Their covenant with the Lord together is the context. And this leads me to my first little aside point about this, is that sometimes the strangeness can look like wrongness. 
Sometimes the strangeness of others can look like sin to you. Sometimes what someone else is doing when you're living life together can look like they're just straight up wrong. And you will be tempted to sometimes receive it that way. Uh, I had a conversation once with someone who was fairly new to church, and they said, you know, I'm just, I'm just really having trouble connecting with people. You know, they're having trouble. And so I said, great. You'll see where this is going. I, I said, great. Well, a bunch of us are, um, I think it was a Vietnamese place. It's no longer around. It's in Austin. I was like, oh, we're going here. Why don't you come with us? And so she came along, like maybe 10 or 12 of us. We had this meal. It's a great time. It's a great time. And uh, uh, we went home. And um, later, they came to my office, and I said, how are things going? And they said, well, just really having a hard time still. And I said, oh, like, you never joined us again uh, for lunch after church. Like, what happened? And they just said, oh, it was just too crazy. It was too overwhelming. There were so many people. I uh, just didn't feel relaxed at all. It was just basically had the opposite effect of, of anything that was helpful. And I was actually taken really, really aback. I thought... In my view, it was like a great time. And I interpreted it that way. I thought their reaction was strange. And my temptation would have been to say, take that strangeness and make it wrongness. And I'd be like, no, 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 no. You were offered community. You rejected it. It's your fault, right? And then to condemn them and say, I, I offered you community. I offered it to you. I presented it to you. You seem not to be interested. Um, and then I would assume uh, that your strangeness is actually wrongness or sin. And now, how do you know? Here's my question. Yeah, you'll look, well, now I've got all kinds of questions about all kinds of interactions in my life. How do I know? Um, and you do that through awkward conversations. So that's the point of this. And awkward conversations are usually best done by asking questions. I can't tell you the number of times I've been in a place of deep frustration, and then I begin to be curious I begin to ask questions. I begin to inquire, hey, what do you feel when we're doing X, Y, Z? What do you think the reason is that this happens when we are in a group? I'm tempted to believe this, that it's just wrongness, but I don't think that's who you are. That's, I don't think that's what our, the nature of our relationship is. I don't think that's true about you or me. And so that's one method, for example, to tackle strangeness. And to investigate, if it's, is it strangeness? Maybe there is sin here. Maybe there is wrongness here. But it's one way you do it, is you ask questions and make assumptions that align with the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, if you don't know what that is, is Galatians 5, 22, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Or 1 Corinthians 13 in which love always hopes, right? When you make assumptions, sometimes they're not very hopeful assumptions. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so what we should not do is assume that strangeness is wrongness. Now, if you're, if you're really sharp, you're thinking about this passage, you're like, yeah, but isn't that what they're doing? They're just assuming it's wrongness. And I would say, actually, I think that in this context, um, it's a little bit more of a confrontational culture with very clear assumptions, and it's received appropriately. 
There, it's, not, it's not received offensively. You see, you're already seeing the strangeness. You're like reading the passage, you're like, that's really confrontational. That's really kind of seems attacking. And the response on the other side is like, no, 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 like, we're good. Like, it, there's not like, how dare you come against us with an army and assume that there's not that. It's, it's strange to us, but we also see that it, it's not, uh, this method is not wrong. And they actually do ask questions. They're like, what are you doing here? Haven't we already suffered enough? Uh, a good example of that is that um, Fletcher Lang and I, who's Fletcher, who's the lead pastor at City on Hill Somerville, um, we spent many years sharing an office, and we were very different. And so um, there was lots of uh, getting angry at each other and trying to figure out why we were so angry at each other. But we had arrived at a place where we could work through pretty much anything, and we understood where the other person was coming from. And the first time, there was a new church planning resident one year. He was new to the office. He just moved here. He sits in the office, and literally right in front of him, we, me and Fletcher start discussing something. And it gets a little bit heated, but like I am in no way offended by what, anything. And then he, like, we're like, our voices get a little raised, get a little elevated, and, and then we're like, eh, okay, good. And we leave, and I am like, I have not thought about it. Apparently, this church planning resident was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> there was just an explosion in the office, and like, oh my God. You know, and we had to explain to him. No, 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 no. We're like, this is, this is strange to you, but like, we're good. This is how our friendship has arrived at this place. Um, another good example, which you know, might be uh, clear to some of you, is that you know, in marriage, like Tanya and I have had to take this time to realize sometimes we are like in the middle of trying to figure something out, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. How did you grow up doing this? How did you grow up doing this part of life? And then we will find out that our upbringing from different countries is largely responsible for things we just thought, like, that's just wrong. <laughs> that's, this is wrong to do it that way, and actually it just has to do with the country I grew up in. And so... Israel here, within themselves, they're asking these questions, but just kind of in their own way, I will argue. And so I'd say having awkward conversations about the strangeness is important. Don't assume it's wrongness and ask questions. And so let's see the results of this awkward question in Joshua. 21. Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said it, in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, the mighty one God, the Lord, the mighty one God, the Lord, he knows and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Israel and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And so we see here is that their relational difficulties happened because they didn't understand the deep-seated concerns of one another. Awkward conversations require both, uh, require that we understand both the strangeness and the deepest concerns of one another's hearts. See, these tribes, they have a conversation. They send this contingent. They didn't go to war right away. They come ready, of course, because it's potentially a very serious problem. 
but they first have a conversation. How many of us first just go straight to war or run away? How many of us withdraw without finding out? We don't want to ask. We don't want to have that awkward conversation. We use, or we use indifference, all right? A lot of Christians, you've been doing this a while, you don't like go to war. Like, you, like that would make you feel bad. So you just, you find these other ways. Indifference, withdrawal. Move to a new place. You find a new church or friends. Awkward conversations require that we understand both the strangeness and the deepest concerns of one another's hearts. But wait, how do I know if it's strangeness or sin? How do I know this? I've probably raised more questions than I've actually answered any. And I would say it's by seeking the counsel of others. Not gossip or malicious talk, not talking behind people's back, but counsel in order to pursue love and fellowship. I have sometimes gone to a brother or sister when I'm in the middle of a situation and said, hey, I had this interaction with someone that I know. I am tempted to feel this was this, but what do you see? What do you see when I explain it to you? And after a long conversation, sometimes they say, yeah, I think there is actually just some strangeness, but actually I think you're sinning. (laughs) And I've definitely had that happen. Um, And I've been surprised and humbled and come to reflect more deeply and, and this is really hard work, but I think bringing others in is important, um, which is why I said in the beginning, if there's questions that come up for you, like talk to someone. We'll have someone here on my right to pray with you after service. I'm happy to talk to you. You can fill out a connection card and leave quickly, and, and then someone will meet with you separately. And Israel's defense here, they are worried. The deepest concern of their heart is for their children. That's why they built this altar. They're like, well, we were just really worried about our kids and your kids saying to our kids that we're not part of Israel. That's why we did it. And, and then it becomes very clear of why they did it. And there's no problem. And everything resolves itself. And so sometimes when we find the deepest concerns of our hearts, things become clear. I've definitely been in, a, in conversations where after actually we end up hurting one another, we were able to share and say, you know what? This is actually the thing I'm really, really worried about deep down. This is the thing that really matters to me. And I think that's why I said what I said or I did what I did. And then to hear what the other person had to say, man, it made such a big, big difference to be able to voice that and to talk about it. Sometimes when the strangeness gets really strange and the temperature gets high, we do sin against each other. That happens. We find ourselves in a place of criticism, We find ourselves living in ways we know don't reflect the love we're called to. And we even start to undo some of the things from the first two weeks. You structured your life this way, you start tearing the structures down slowly. You're like, maybe I shouldn't have built it quite so for you. You begin to reestablish some ideals. You say, you know what, the reality, that's not that great. Maybe my ideals shouldn't have let, I shouldn't have let go of my ideals to begin with. We trade people for the ideas again. We start dismantling what we've built again. And I will argue, again with nuance, knowing that stuff is hard out there, that this can be sin. And so how does this tie to the gospel? How does this tie to the gospel? Last night I was like, wait, how does this tie to the gospel? And then I sat there and I asked the Lord. And you see, it's because the way it ties is that we, we actually don't do this stuff well. We run away from awkward conversations that are hard. We would rather not have to deal with crucifying our preferences, 
We enjoy the idea of the body of Christ more than we actually enjoy the body of Christ. Every single one of us falls short. But Christ did not. Philippians 2 says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, God himself, decided that he wanted to have a conversation with us. And when we turned from him, when we shut him out, when we built our lives aside from him and from others, when we turned away from him in rebellion and said, I want no part of you or these people of yours, he came even closer. He came awkwardly as flesh and blood to understand our concerns and fears in the most perfect way. He lived in this world we live in, feeling its brokenness, experiencing betrayal by friends. He wept over death. Hebrews 4.15 says, in every respect he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He did everything to bring us close to him. He died on the cross because he knew we would be unable to do this. And because he did, he made a way for us to be connected to him and each other in a way that only he could make possible. You see, Jesus died so we would get to do this, pursue a reconciled, diverse, curious community, discovering the strangeness and asking questions of one another, sinning against one another in that process, but always experiencing the fruit of reconciliation and forgiveness. He died so that we would get to lay down our preferences like he did, to mirror and give testimony to the greatest and humblest act we've ever seen, the innocent dying for the guilty. God himself showing us that he knows what it means to be human. What have you thought as we've gone through these past three weeks? Do you shrink because of the potential difficulty? I know I have. Or are you humbled by its glory? If we live in fear and by our fallen desires, if we let the enemy take away the means by which God wants to act in our lives and reach our city and community and world, then we will find ourselves in retreat. But if we see, if we just look at our risen Savior, he's tempted and tried as we were, but then victorious over sin and death. If we, if we see that we share in his triumph and are being taught to walk in his power, drawing from the right power source, then we will experience life together. We will have conversations. We will start building life together. We will find that the pale idea of community gets swallowed up in the very body of Christ. Verses 30 and 31, when Phineas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him heard the words that the people of Reuben and the, the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I know that the refining fire 
the refining fire of life together in community is so hot. And in our sin as your body, we know that we end up actually misusing that fire and some of us are burned. But we do not throw out the purpose for which you've made it. God, keep us away from misunderstanding and isolation. God, would you bring us close to you and one another through exploring the mystery of knowing one another. God, would you keep us from sin in the midst of that process and close to you. Forgive us, God, when we presume. Forgive us when we do not forgive. Help us instead to come to one another and talk to one another, to pursue one another, to pursue hard and awkward conversations, to know the deepest concerns of each other's hearts. Lord, I pray when we sin, please remind us of Christ. When we're sinned against, remind us even more what he died for, what he is building, and that he's coming again to complete what he started in our midst. I wanna ask you to stand and take a moment. You may find yourself with questions of what's next, and that may, you, you may need to bring that to prayer. Maybe this week, maybe this month, definitely with others. Are you building, are you embracing people? Are you afraid to walk into a conversation and ask some questions? What's the Lord calling you to this morning and in this season of your life? Don't just pray about it, but maybe listen carefully. If you don't hear anything, let someone pray with you. And as you take communion, take it as, a, as an expression, if you're a believer, that Christ is your power source. Take it as an embrace of the community of faith, life together. It is your embrace of being part of the body of Christ. The word says to examine yourself carefully when you take communion. And so if you find that maybe you're obstinately refusing in some way to walk in a way that you do believe God is asking you to engage in this season, maybe it's time to not take communion today. To, 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 to change the trajectory to which you're trying to head and then to embrace him and take and eat. There'll be stations around the room. If you're not a believer, I want to ask that um, you not take as it's not an expression of who you are. We want to encourage you to take Christ because we do believe that he will call you into something that's very worthy. And so Lord, would you bless these elements? Allow us to feed on you. Allow us to walk with you and surrender our lives to you. We pray in Jesus' name.